Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 this morning. And uh, today we're going to begin in in verse 9, after Christ, after telling them that they're going to receive power, that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon them, that they're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. In verse 9 it says, When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And you have here the ascension of Christ. Here, as he, as he you know, gives them these final instructions and, and uh, um, gives them this, you know, this commission uh, before he is going to ascend to the Father. And then he physically uh, ascends up into heaven. Now, here they are on the Mount of Olives. Uh, the Mount of Olives is a, a place you can go and, and visit it today. Uh, there's still... Still olive groves there today. It's a, it's a mount that kind of overlooks the city of Jerusalem. And, and you know, it's, it's significant that they are here on the Mount of Olives because uh, the, the, the prophets foretold that in the second coming of Christ, when he comes to, to uh, conquer and, and rule and reign as king, that he will descend upon the Mount of Olives. All right, and so here he's going to ascend from the Mount of Olives, that same place where later when, when he returns to the earth, that's where his feet are going to set, is there on the Mount of Olives. And, and you see here, uh, it describes how he's taken up and, and a cloud receives him out of their sight. Now, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had been doing a lot to try and prepare the disciples for the fact that he was going to go away. All right, now they probably, especially very early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, they thought that all of this was going to culminate with him sitting on the throne at Jerusalem. And, and of course, it didn't take very long before it became obvious that the, the religious leaders there, uh, certainly the political leaders, were not going to allow that to happen. And of course, we, we uh, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see uh, certainly how it was, it was not in God's plan at all for the Lord Jesus Christ to be crowned as king there in his first coming, but rather that he came as the servant. Uh, he came in his first coming to be that, that lamb that was going to be slain, that was going to be crucified. And, you know, there came a point in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can turn, turn back to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Uh, you know, if you were to, to start reading with the first of the four Gospels with Matthew, and, and you begin reading through there, and you see how when Christ first begins to preach, he's preaching, the kingdom is at hand, right? That kingdom that had been promised through the Old Testament to Israel, that restoration of the throne of David, it was at hand, right? Because the king was present. The Lord Jesus Christ was there present. But, uh, of course, as he had his run-ins with the Pharisees and, and some of the other religious groups there in Israel, uh, they, they became very much set against him. And you come to a point here in Matthew 13 
where the Lord Jesus Christ begins to reveal some things that, again, the, the disciples didn't necessarily understand these things when Christ was teaching them, but they were things that they would later be able to look back on and certainly things we can look back on in the Scriptures and see the significance of what Christ was teaching. And he, there's this series of parables here in Matthew 13 that were describing how the kingdom was not going to be immediately established, but rather that, that there was going to be this period of time where the kingdom in a, in a spiritual form certainly would be growing, but there would be this corruption among it as well. Uh, you, you see, we, don't, we aren't going to read all of these parables, but, but uh, the, very, the very first uh, parable there in Matthew 13 is that parable of the sower, right? And, and you see verse 3, it says, He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And, you know, this is really where the Lord Jesus Christ begins to speak in parables. And the disciples ask him in verse 10, uh, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? You know, kind of the standard line uh, about why Christ spoke in parables is people will say, well, he used these stories, you know, to demonstrate truth and and make truth clear and, and plain to people. But here when the disciples ask him why he speaks in parables, that's not the answer that he gives. He doesn't approach these parables. Many people view the parables as, as being kind of like fables. You know, you read Aesop's fables and there are these nice stories with some kind of a, a moral message behind them. That's how many people view the parables. But notice what Christ says about the parables. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you, these disciples, it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Here he's teaching, he teaches the, the parable to the multitude as a whole. Now, later he would take the disciples aside and he would explain what the parable meant. But what he says here is that multitude, he says it's not given to them to know the mysteries of of the uh, kingdom of heaven, but to you it's, it's given. See, it was given to these disciples because he would take them aside separately and he would explain the parable. And they got light from the, from the explanation of the parable, not from the parable itself, but to the multitude as a whole, the parables were there to hide truth, not to, not to proclaim truth. It was there to make it so they couldn't understand, not to, not to demonstrate truth and, and make it so that they could. Now certainly to the, to the disciples, once they had the explanation, you see it allowed them maybe to, to understand some things that they wouldn't have otherwise. But you see, he says, to you it's given to know these mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now here he mentions mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, a mystery in the Bible is not just something that's hard to understand. A mystery is something that God intentionally kept secret And usually when the Bible is talking about a mystery, then it's being declared what that secret was. And and here these parables of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven 
Really, if, if you go down through all of the parables, and again, we're going to look at a couple of these, but if you go down through all the parables, you see what they describe is a, 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 a delay in the establishment of the kingdom. Where, and many of them describe really a, a, a sense in which Christ is going to go away and the kingdom is not going to be established until later. All right, Because the... The kingdom was not something, this kingdom that had been promised to Israel was not something that was going to be established in Christ's first coming. It was something yet to come later on. And so these mysteries, that, that delay in the establishment of the kingdom is not something that you find in Old Testament prophecy. It hadn't been really declared or, or explained before Christ begins to teach some of those things here during his earthly ministry. Uh, in fact, what the what the scripture says, what, what Peter says about, about the prophets is that many of the things they prophesied, he said they understood neither, uh, he, he said they didn't understand what or at what time the spirit which was in them did signify when he, when he spoke before of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. You know, you can go back in the Old Testament prophets and you can see the sufferings of Christ there. And you can see the glory that would follow that. But, but how, you know, what the, what the time element was going to be and how that uh, came to pass isn't clear. And you can see why these disciples, why they were confused often about when the actual kingdom was going to be established, because it's not clear in Old Testament prophecy. Uh, and here we are, you know, here we are 2,000 years after the first coming of Christ, and that kingdom that, that was promised has not yet been established we're still in this, this gap, this, this delay. Uh, and that's what Christ is describing here in these parables of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have to do with that delay in the establishment, in the establishment of the kingdom between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And, and you see, when you look at these parables... That's what they describe, that first parable. Of course, Christ later gives the, the uh, disciples the interpretation of it. But he describes how there was going to be a period of tribulation. Now, the, this didn't happen during the, during the earthly ministry of Christ. Uh, the disciples weren't, weren't suffering that persecution and tribulation and, and those things that would cause somebody to fall away. There, there may have been some degree of it. But in many cases, Christ warned them about uh, just the intense persecution they were going to suffer, how they were going to be brought before kings and, and people in authority and, and those kinds of things. And that didn't happen during the earthly ministry of Christ. That was something that came in this, in this period after Christ went away, after he ascended into heaven, but in the, in the delay then before his second coming. Um, and so, so you see as it describes there how the word's going to go out. It's not going to be immediately received there in that parable of the sower. But, uh, the, you know, it t- describes the, the fowls coming and devouring up the seed. Um, you know, some, of, some places where the seed would spring up, but it, wouldn't, it didn't have any deepness of earth. It didn't have any, any deep roots, and so it withered away. And uh, that's describing this, this period in the delay of the, of the kingdom. Also in this chapter, you have the parable of the, the wheat and the tares, right? If you skip down to verse 24, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. 
But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, there, that parable, and if you, you know, if you go on to read the, the uh, interpretation of it that Christ gives later as well, you, you see, of course, the wheat would, would be the, the true fruit of the, of the gospel. It would be these believers, and then you have the tares that are these uh, people that might be portraying themselves as believers but are not. And you see how he describes letting the two grow together. There was going to be this period of time where the two would grow together, and it wouldn't be until the time of the end then, then that they would distinguish between the good and the bad and, and sort them out. And if there's, any, if there's any overriding theme in these mystery parables here in Matthew 13, it's that. It's that the good and bad were going to be together until the time of the end, and then they would be sorted out. And uh, what, you, what you see when you go to the book of Revelation, for instance, and you, you read about those events that come leading up to the, the second coming of Christ, you see there a, a sorting out of the wheat and the tares. You see a sorting out there of the, the uh, good fish and the bad fish. You, you see those kinds of things. Now, all these parables, Christ is beginning to prepare those disciples for this period where he's going to go away. Right, he's he's not going to be with them, and the and the word of the kingdom is still going to be going out. But uh, there's going to be a delay in the fulfillment of those things. Um, if if uh, you go over to go over to John, go to John chapter sixteen. Skip down to verse sixteen. And here again, Christ is talking about this departure. In fact, there's little else that he talks about. You know, just leading up to his death here. You see in verse 16, he says, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Ned said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father, they don't understand anything that he's talking about when he says, you know, you're not going to see me, and then you will see me. Uh, they said, therefore, what is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. And, and uh, you know, he goes on to instruct them there. Now, certainly, uh, that was fulfilled to a certain extent in his resurrection, right? They sorrowed in those days between his 
uh, when, he, when he died on the cross and while he was in the grave, and they had joy when they perceived him in the resurrection, but also as well, uh, they're going to sorrow here with his, with his uh, going away in the ascension, but the, the joy uh, that he would be talking about there would be the second coming. Okay? Uh, go, go back to the book of Acts. Now, um, certainly by the time, you know, as Christ has been teaching them for 40 days after his resurrection, um, he no doubt had been continuing to confirm these things to them about how he was going to go away. Uh, in our, our uh, text verse that we read, verse 9, uh, you see it says, When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And, you know, the, the clouds there, when it talks about uh, the Lord coming again, both at the, at the catching away of the church, the body of Christ, and at his second coming to earth, both of those mention clouds. And, you know, this isn't just, this isn't just necessarily the, the natural clouds that you see in the sky on a cloudy day, but understand that throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, there are, there are clouds that are associated with the presence of God. Remember when God led Israel in the wilderness and, uh, and he, he led them out of Egypt, how did he lead them? It was this pillar of cloud by day, right? And that was the, the very presence of God himself. Uh, in fact, it, it says in the Old Testament of, of God the Father that he, he wrappeth himself in a cloud. And, and uh, so the Lord Jesus Christ here, in going up into the clouds, it's not just that, you know, that he's just ascending up into some, some natural cloud that you would see out in the sky, but he's ascending into the very presence of God the Father. And likewise, when he comes again, he'll come with clouds, whether it be when he comes into the air and the, and the church is caught up into the clouds, that, that as well. When we're caught up into the clouds, um, it's, just, it's being caught up into the presence of God. And likewise, at the second coming, it says that he'll come with clouds. But you see, they, they watch there, and, and you know, certainly they're doing the same thing there that any of us would be doing, and they see him go up, and, and they're watching him up, you know, up there uh, as long as they can. And notice verse 10, it says, While they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him come, uh, sorry, as you have seen him go into heaven. He's going to come in like manner, the same way that he ascended there from that spot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come again. And the angels are there to, you know, as these disciples there are, are, are focused on Christ and, and, you know, looking steadfastly up into heaven, the angels come and say, why are you doing that? He's going to come again. And the idea is, you know, Christ had taught these disciples to, to be watching and to be looking for his second coming. Uh, he warned them often about, and this again had to do with this fact that he was going to go away, and how they needed to be watching and be ready for his return. Uh, go back to, to Matthew again. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Here he's instructing them. There's, there's you know, a very long passage here with several different parables where he's telling them again about the fact that he's going to go away and they need to be watching for his return. 
Uh, you can see in verse 41, Matthew 24, verse 41, it says, uh, sorry, verse 42, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Now he teaches them there to, to watch and to be ready. But when he's telling them to watch and be ready, he's not telling them to, to go out, as has happened so many times with, with different uh, false prophets and, and things. Uh, he's not telling them to go out on some hillside and be watching for him to come up into heaven. He's telling them to watch and be ready, and the way to do that is to be active doing the things that he told them to do. Right? He's, he says... Um, about that servant, blessed is that servant in verse 46, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. He doesn't say, blessed is that servant that his Lord finds, you know, just being idle watching for his return, but blessed is that servant that he finds doing the things that he told him to do in his absence. You see? And, and Christ, just before he ascends up into heaven, he gives, he tells those disciples some things to do. Now certainly there is a, a period of waiting. They still haven't received that Holy Spirit. They're to wait there at Jerusalem to receive the Spirit. But, but you see how the angels are there to, to take the disciples' attention away from just watching up, up into the clouds and to realize they need to have some attention on some, some things here on the earth. Uh, the way to be watching and to be ready for Christ's return is to be doing the things that he had told them to do. And uh, that's, you know, that's what the angels do there. Sometimes we need some of that same reminder. You know, certainly we have, you can go over to Colossians chapter 3. And, you know, um, members of the body of Christ are, are not, not uh, called to look for that same same coming of Christ that these disciples were looking for. They're looking for that second coming uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. Uh, the church, the body of Christ, is instructed about a, a coming into the air where Christ is going to come into the air and the church, the body of Christ, is caught up there into the air to, to meet with him. But the same principle, the principle is the same. Uh, we're to be looking for the coming of the Lord. Uh, there's, in fact, the, the uh, word of God uh, talks about the blessedness of those that love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, you also have, and, and certainly we're told, if you go to Colossians chapter 3, uh, as members of the body of Christ, certainly we have a, a focus on heavenly things. Now, not in the way that the disciples were there on the Mount of Olives, just staring up into the sky, but rather we have these, these heavenly spiritual things that have been declared in God's word that we're supposed to keep our focus on. Right, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And it says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And verse 5 says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. You see, uh, it talks about putting your affection on things above, 
right? Not on things on the earth. How, how uh, it, says, it says, if you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. But understand that that doesn't mean that, that the believer in Christ is just to, you know, cloister themselves away somewhere and, and you know, never be able to relate the word of God to practical things. He, he's not telling them there. That's, that's how some people believe that you attain spirituality, um, some, you know, some people who would claim to be Christians, and certainly many people who would uh, claim to be members of, of other religions. There's sort of this idea out there that the way you get to be really spiritual is just, you know, you, you become a hermit, you get away from everything in the world, and, and you focus just on spiritual things. That's not the, the uh, intent here in a passage like this. When it talks about having your, your affection on things above, it's that, that position that you have in Christ of being risen with him. It's that understanding of those spiritual things that God has accomplished. But you don't set your affection on those things by somehow, somehow you know, just removing yourself from everything in the world. In fact, always what you see in the word of God is that affection on those spiritual things is something that, that affects the world around the believer. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in preaching these things, as he would go from city to city, what did, they, what did they say? And I think it was at the city of Ephesus. They said, those that have turned the world upside down have come, come hither also. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul, in his preaching, was not talking about people just you know, dividing away from the world, but rather that was a message that influenced and affected the world. And, you know, you, you tend to have, there's a, there's a balance that has to be there in the, in the Christian life. Certainly we're looking for the coming of Christ, and, and certainly you see the great emphasis that's placed here in this passage about setting your affection on things above. But if that's not something that affects things in your life here on earth, then of, of what practical good is it? You know, and you, you tend to have these two extremes. There's one extreme uh, within, within Christianity that just puts all its focus on earthly things, and they wind up with sort of a social gospel, and they wind up believing that the job of the church is just to help the poor and, and do those kinds of things, okay? And, and they've lost sight of the, the things above that Paul talks about in this passage. But then you also have kind of that, that idea, again, that, that, you know, the church is just purely spiritual and they ought to have no, no uh, influence or impact on the world. And, and, you know, neither of those is biblical. Uh, and, and, you know, you see it there with the disciples. Now, they've got, they've got an affection on some things above as they're standing looking up into heaven, right? But, but the angel calls them to not, to not to forsake that desire that they have for the return of the Lord. In fact, the, the angels remind them that he's going to come again, right? But, but the angels are also there to just sort of remind them as well that there's some things for them to do. And likewise, as believers in Christ, we have, first and foremost, you know, there's doctrine from the word of God that the believer in Christ needs to learn in order to be strong in faith in order to, to uh, uh, understand what God has said about, about who the believer is in Christ and to understand what God requires of that believer. But it's one thing to know the Word of God, and it's another thing to actually then go out and put it into practice. And you see, it's, it's both of those things. And you have examples of, uh, you know, a lot of those different, different extremes in the Bible. The Corinthians, you know, the Corinthians had some doctrine that they understood, but they weren't putting it into practice. And you, Paul writes to rebuke them about that. 
Um, you know, and, and you, have, you have various other of these churches that are examples of, of one or the other of, of those extremes. But what you see, the reason there's, you know, there's all this instruction uh, that you have in God's word to the, the body of Christ is that we are living in this world. Right now, we're not a part of the world in the sense of the, the world system uh, that has its its God and its prince. The, the God of this world is the devil himself. We ought not be a part of the course of this world. But we ought to be, as we looked at last time, ambassadors in this world. And you see, you can't do that if you just cloister yourself away somewhere. Uh, and, and I'll tell you that even many, many believers, and, and again, whether, you know, whether somebody understands the, the rapture, they're looking for the second coming or, or whatever, uh, you know, believers are, are looking for the coming of the Lord. But I'll tell you that in some ways, we, we can wind up being like those disciples there on the Mount of Olives. And, and we can wind up thinking of that coming of the Lord as, as like our escape from this world. In a, in a sense, it is. But realize we've got a job in this world. Okay, and and certainly it will be it will be a a wonderful thing uh, to see that day, whether we see it in the flesh or whether whether, uh, you know, we're among those who sleep in Jesus. It'll be a wonderful thing to see that day when the the church, the body of Christ is caught up and, and gathered together there in the clouds with the Lord. But he's got some things for us to do and we need to go to his word and find out what those things are and be busy about the things of the Lord. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.